From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. Hey, Guy Raz, how'd you bill this? I'm Bill Curtis, and here is your host at the Chase Bank Auditorium in downtown Chicago, Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, everybody. I share your excitement. We do have a great show for you today. Later on, we're going to be talking to actor Anna Kendrick about her new movie, and we have a lot of questions for her, and only like five of them are going to be, can you do the cup song for us? (laughs) Please, just a little bit, please. We expect you to be completely without musical accompaniment. When you call, the number is one triple eight. wait wait That's one 888 Let's welcome our first listener contestant. Hi, you are on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Hi, this is Heather Kisler-Kins from Arvada, Colorado. Oh, well, that's great. Arvada's out near Denver. How are things there? Wonderful. Very hot. Um, oh, yeah. Oh. I know, but that'll change. Or will it, right? Pretty soon. Mm. Yeah. Pretty soon Colorado will be known for water skiing, I guess. Oh, no. Oh. Well, Heather, welcome to the show. Let me introduce you to our panel this week. First, it's a comedian and host of the podcast Fake the Nation, which you can see in New York City on November 6th in the show Average Woman with Average Rage. It's Nagin Farsad. Next, it's a humorous and author of his latest book. It's on finance and economics. It's called None of My Business. It's PJ O'Rourke. And a comedian performing October 26th in Raleigh, North Carolina at the Maimondi Concert Hall and the host of a new podcast, Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone. It is, of course, Paula Poundstone. So, Heather, welcome to the show. You're going to start us off with Who's Bill this time. Bill Curtis is going to read for you three quotations in the week's news. If you can correctly identify or explain two of them, you will win our prize. The voice from our show that you like on your voicemail. Are you ready to play? Um, yes, very. Okay, very. Here we go. Here is your first quote. It's a joke. Just another assault against me. I'll write the real book. That was the president reacting to the publication this week of a new book by whom? Probably the Bob Woodward book. You never know with all the books coming out, but yes. (laughs) It's Bob Woodward. That was on Tuesday. By now, it could have been four more. Who knows? But we're talking about Bob Woodward. His book, titled Fear, which is both what it's about and what it causes, is already a huge bestseller, despite there being no real surprises in it. That makes it the perfect book club book. You can totally get away with only pretending you've read it. (laughs) Oh, oh yeah, my favorite part is how everybody thinks the president is crazy. Woodward uh, quotes various senior White House aides saying terrible things about the president, such as he's an idiot, a moron, he has the mental capacity of a fifth grader, which if you're listening, Mr. President, is the grade the son you forgot about recently finished. (laughs) Wait a minute. You may go, ooh, but the president's going to go, oh. Have you, guys, have, have you haven't had a chance to read it yet, but you're sure you've heard about it, I assume. Yeah, I think one of the things that's illuminating about the book is th- that I haven't read um, is that <laughs> is that like it, it shows the shortcomings of the English language in that we don't have enough ways to call someone an idiot. That's right. <laughs> 
joke. Is yeah. it funny, Peter? I don't know. I, I only got my copy recently. I know Bob. I'm guessing kind of not. No, no, he's a, he's a bit dour. <laughs> yeah, he is a little bit dour. Uh, and um, You know, he's not anything like Dustin Hoffman or uh, Robert, Redford. Robert Redford. Especially not like Robert Redford. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Carl Bernstein, I know Carl for way back. He is quite a bit like Dustin Hoffman. Oh, <laughs> that was good. Carl could have played himself, but, but Bob, not so much so. Now, what's interesting, of course, is now that the book has come out, everybody is denying the things they are quoted as saying in the book. But Woodward is notorious for recording everything, so people are being very careful. These are non-denial denials. So Gary Cohn, for example, told Woodward he stole key documents from Trump's desk, said, quote, this book does not accurately portray my experience at the White House, unquote. Yeah, he didn't so much steal the documents as remove them secretly when Trump wasn't looking. And <laughs> it's not so much a desk as the president's wooden napping surface. <laughs> and former Secretary of State Tillerson is quoted as calling the president an effing moron. He, of course, says that's not true. I used the whole word. <laughs> Now, what, what was interesting, I think, about this, maybe you can say so, uh, PJ, but the book it was such a departure for Woodward. We remember, for example, in All the President's Men, he had to go to parking garages to meet with secret sources. <laughs> and this one, people were apparently, like, calling him cold. Mr. Woodward? <laughs> yes, it's, it's Melania with an M. <laughs> All right, Heather, your next quote is actually a series of headlines from a collection we saw this week. A schmear campaign in New York. And locks her up. That was the Wall Street Journal and Canada's National mm. Post, respectively. <laughs> reacting to someone ordering the wrong kind of bagel and thus perhaps ending her quest to be governor of New York. Who was it? Cynthia Nixon. It's Cynthia it Nixon. <laughs> Say again? It doesn't sound bad. Like, what? you get the sweet and salty... I think it sounds delicious. Right, well, you guys are that's just that's not from before, New York. Before we explain how wrong you are, we need to let everybody else know what we're talking okay, about. Okay, there's that. The actress Cynthia Nixon, of course, famous from Sex and the City, has been running an insurgent campaign against the governor of New York, and she was doing really well because what could be a better idea than electing a famous television star with no political experience <laughs> to a she position of power? Him. Yeah. But it all came crashing down when she was filmed by Gothamist ordering a cinnamon raisin bagel with lox, cream cheese, and capers Ooh. at Zabar's in New York. Now, no what? true... What? No, 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 no pork skins? No, yeah. <laughs> no chicharrones? No true New Yorker orders a sweet bagel with lox. True New Yorkers like an onion bagel, a little schmear, and for that New York authenticity, a whiff of stale urine. <laughs> Now, some attacked Ms. Nixon for this, for this order. Some have defended her, saying at least it wasn't a blueberry bagel, which is the worst thing to happen to Jews ever. Yeah, it really is yeah, bad. No, I mean, it's just... What it's an ugly, ugly you? thing. It's totally... I, yeah. I also love the sweet and salty. I'm the guy that orders pineapple on my pizza, and I stand by those decisions in life. I dip my sausage in maple syrup. Who is with me in 2020? <laughs> with practical politics. John Kerry never became president because he ordered brie on a Philly cheesesteak. No, 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 wait a minute. No, no, in fact, PJ makes a point, which is that for some reason in this country, we are really sensitive 
to politicians eating foods correctly. As PJ brought up, uh, John Kerry ordered a cheesesteak wrong, although it was with Swiss, not Brie. Uh, Mitt Romney once Ooh, said... Swiss, even worse. I know. <laughs> Mitt Romney once said, quote, my favorite meat is hot dog. And Chris Christie, of course, famously created a massive traffic jam in Fort Lee, New Jersey, when he decided to eat the George Washington Bridge. <laughs> I was going to... I was going to say, tell me there's any food that Chris Christie ate wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Heather, here is your last quote. Maybe for a little extra, they can decorate it, drink your milk and cookies, and spend quality time with Aunt Sally for you, too. That was somebody on Twitter commenting in the news that Amazon will now deliver what to your house this Christmas? Are they delivering Christmas trees? They are, Heather. Is that awful? That's right. Along. I... Along with I, I'm, I'm deeply alarmed. My wife is seeing too much of that UPS man already, and to have him over for Christmas dinner on top of it, I yeah. don't know. Along with your local bookstore and department stores, Amazon is now putting the old guy standing in an empty lot drinking vodka from a paper bag out of business. <laughs> Amazon this year will be delivering live, or at least recently killed, Christmas trees. Uh, up to seven feet tall, right to your house. It is amazing to think that finally the robots that will kill us all turn out to be the ones Amazon built with buzz saws for hands oh. so they can make an extra dollar this Christmas. I think this is such a sad story. I love going to get the Christmas tree. I just, I, I love, you know. And I am the drunk guy drinking vodka out of the paper bag. <laughs> I'm sorry for your loss, sir. You know, Peter, I'm a Muslim like most of your listeners. Yes. And Christmas trees, you know, um, unless they're wrapped in a prayer rug. But um, <laughs> I, but I, but I, I don't buy Christmas trees. But I still love seeing the parking lot and yeah, it, you yeah. know, and the smell of the thing, and it's it's lovely. You know what I mean? Even a horrible terrorist Muslim like myself <laughs> can see this beautiful American tra- tradition as being lovely, and Amazon just taking a giant dump on it. That's terrible. <laughs> It'll still be nice. It'll be a family thing instead of like getting in the car and driving off to the tree farm or the or the filled parking lot we'll just gather around the iphone so we can all click order together as a family (laughs) bill how did heather do on our show she did great (laughs) heather you got all three right congratulations heather Heather, thanks for playing bye-bye bye-bye Right now, panel, it is time for you to answer some questions about this week's news. PJ, NASA is trying to bring back manned spaceflight, and one of their ideas is to add what to rockets? Oh, you know, cocktail service. (laughs) That would get you on board. It would. would. This is is actually a money-raising uh, they're going to advertise. They are. They're yeah. going to add corporate yeah. logos oh. to the spaceships. Yeah. Oh. Viagra Jesus. is <laughs> <laughs> comes to mind. Oh, you're absolutely right. You're right. I mean, think of, no, you're right, PJ. Think about it. I mean, because what do they call the rockets? Like Falcon Heavy? That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. But imagine, you know, the magistic sight of like the Viagra Ramrod Express <laughs> launching straight to heaven. Yeah. That will. Yeah. Plus, I think every astronaut wants that spaceship to stay up as long as it can. Exactly. (laughs) There you go. The 
the head of NASA, uh, Jim Bridenstine, said he's considering allowing companies to buy naming rights to rockets, as well as allowing astronauts to appear on things like cereal boxes, making Wheaties the second brand after Pampers to feature people on the box who are wearing diapers. <laughs> but this will spread, like whenever astronauts call mission control, we'll hear things like, Houston, we have a problem, but it's nothing Ace Hardware can't fix. <laughs> Coming up, our panelists get demoted to public enemy number two in our Bluff the Listener game called one triple eight wait wait to play You'll be back in a minute with more of Wait Wait Don't Tell Me from NPR. Support for NPR and the following message comes from ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology finds the right people for you and actively invites them to apply. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S., based on hiring sites with over 1,000 reviews on Trustpilot. And right now, listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com wait. What's unique about the human experience, and what do we all have in common? I'm Guy Raz. Every week on TED Radio Hour, we go on a journey through the big ideas, emotions, and discoveries that fill all of us with wonder. Find it on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis. We are playing this week with Nagin Farsad, PJ O'Rourke, and Paula Poundstone. And here again is your host at the Chase Bank Auditorium in downtown Chicago, Peter Segal. Thank you, Bill. Thank you much. Right now, it's time for the Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me Bluff the Listener game called one wait wait to play our game in the air. Hi, you are on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Hi, Peter. This is David Botero calling from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Hey, David, how are you? I'm excellent. I'm excellent. Thank you. Uh, uh, Harrisburg, are you a Harrisburg guy? Are you from there? No, um, I've been here 13 years. This trashy accent will tell you I'm from North Jersey. I'm I was about to say. <laughs> I, I, I'm from North Jersey, too, and I felt a certain frisson of familiarity and worry that I owed you money. Well, David, welcome to the show. You're going to play our game in which you must try to tell truth from fiction. Bill, what is David's topic? The Scourge of Bexhill on Sea. Bexhill on Sea is a town on the southern coast of England, and until now, its biggest problem was that it was overrun with not just one, but two hyphens. This week, though, another nuisance bedeviled the community there. Our panelists are going to tell you about it. Pick the one that is telling the truth. You will win our prize, the voice of your choice in your voicemail. Are you ready to play? Yes, I am. All right. The first story of the curse of Bexhill on Sea comes from Nagin Farsad. In the United Kingdom, an evil paraglider is menacing the fine citizens of Bexhill-on-Sea, a town known for putting its major feature in the name of its town. Bexhill-on-Sea is meant to be very charming, but this paraglider has been flying in the face of that charm. He likes to glide low enough so that he can hurl insults at passers-by on the beach below. He's called a local fisherman, a minger, whatever that means, and probably said to one woman, the cellulite on your thighs looks like an English muffin, which we just call a muffin because we're in England. <laughs> and he almost certainly said to a group of tourists, I wish you would Brexit from this town. <laughs> 
An investigation was launched two years ago to find the rogue paraglider and bring him to justice. But so far, the police have failed to do so, despite the fact that the airborne wanker paraglides like every day, and that paragliding is pretty bloody slow, so it's not like they wouldn't be able to out-jog him during flight. And despite the fact that they even partnered with the Civil Aviation Authority, so there's literally two teams of officials hunting down this one aggressive paraglider. So despite all of the odds being in their favor, the two-year-long investigation continues. An evil paraglider terrorizing the people. As Bexhill on Sea, your next story of a bother in Bexhill comes from P.J. O'Rourke. Bexhill on Sea, lovely little English coastal village, and has a lovely little problem. Bexhill's overrun with Bexels. Uh, a Bexel in the local Sussex dialect is a European dormouse. Uh, we creatures resembling mice, except with furry tails, great big eyes, and a soft, fluffy coat. They're the most adorable creatures you've ever seen. But lately, perhaps due to climate change, the little darlings have been breeding like the Dickens. Brexel is infested with an estimated 900,000 Brexels. <laughs> now, what dormice do is be dormant. They curl up in a sweet little ball of fur and they go to sleep. And they're doing it everywhere in Brexel on Sea. But they're just so precious that in this nation of animal lovers, no one has the heart to disturb them. Too cute to shoot, as one local person <laughs> put it. Fortunately for the citizens of Brexel, Brexit hasn't happened yet. The EU Commission is sending in a special team from Slovenia to deal with the problem and say, team of Slovenian chefs because in Slovenia, the Dormouse is considered a delicacy. Thousands, if not millions, of Dormice overrunning Bexhill, and they're too cute to shoot. And your last story of a Bexhill-on-Sea minus comes from Paula Poundstone. The UK's Bexhill-on-Sea was quite a quaint little town until its exposure to the Amway Company. The town has become known as Amway on Sea. Each Amway member is instructed to relentlessly recruit more members into the cleaning and health and beauty product-based multi-level marketing company. They offer products and product demonstrations to their potential recu recruits. Tea shops, parks, churches, and public bathrooms are alive with Amway recruitments. They'll actually come into a public loo, look under to spot feet, and wait outside the stall to pounce on the prospect with a bathroom cleanser demonstration, <laughs> complains local resident Betty Trippany. From the demonstrations alone, every surface in the town is clean. Local children's immune systems seem not to be developing as a result. <laughs> College graduations, baby showers, birthdays, and weddings are marred by gifts of nutrition bars, replacement dispenser pumps, and skin exfoliators. Many recipients simply no longer have skin. I can't even serve a cup of tea to a customer without them whipping out an Amway multi-purpose cleaning pump spray, says waitress Mary Carter. I'd make a lot more money if the whole town hadn't gone broke selling Amway. All right, one of these things is tormenting the people of Bexhill-on-Sea. For real, is it? From Nagin Farsad, a mysterious man who paraglides in to insult 
the residents and visitors from Pidgey O'Rourke, a plague of dormice who are just so adorable, no one can do anything about them. Or from Paula Poundstone, the multi-level marketing of the Amway Corporation. Which of these is the real story of apparel in Bexhill? Um, I think it's Nagim with number one. All right, you're going to go with, because you're a guy from Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> who's used to people shouting obscenities at strangers. You have chosen Nagin's story of the terrorizing paraglider. Well, we spoke to a journalist who's been on top of this terrifying story. There is this evil paraglider who has been bothering that was Susanna Heller, a reporter from Insider, talking about the evil paraglider who, and I'm not sure you heard her say, has been terrorizing the town for two years. <laughs> Meaning that in two years of this guy swooping down and shouting insults, no one has thought, hey, let's follow him to see where he lands. <laughs> Well, congratulations, David. You, in fact, picked the right answer by picking Nagin's. You have earned a point for her, and you have won for yourself the voice of anyone in the show you might choose for your voicemail. Congratulations, David. Thank you, David. Thank you so much. And now the game where we ask talented people to make absolutely no use of their talents as they play our games instead. Anna Kendrick went from a very respected and even Oscar-nominated actor to being a superstar by spending 30 seconds singing along with a plastic cup in a scene at the beginning of Pitch Perfect, which made that whole series of movies some of the most profitable musicals ever made. Her latest movie is A Simple Favor. Anna Kendrick, welcome to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Thank you so much for having me. We're so delighted to talk to you. Your, your story is well known, but you were uh, you were acting professionally quite young, right? Yeah, I started in theater when I was um, well. I started in local theater when I was like five or six, and then I did the play Annie, which is you know the gateway drug for all girls trying yes. to do theater. Then um, I wanted to audition for professional shows, and um, my parents were gracious enough to drive me from Maine to New York City for these auditions, and after a while they got tired of that. Um, so they put me on a bus with um, my brother. I was 12 and he was 14, and we got on a Greyhound bus, and I auditioned for the musical High Society, and um, eventually I got that. Wow. wow. So your, your parents said, we've had it. Here's a bus <laughs> ticket. Call us when you're famous. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Do you remember, what, were you Annie when you were a nanny in, uh, in local theater? No, I was Tessie, um, who said, you know, they're fighting and I won't get no sleep all night. You always remember your first lines. Are you telling me that there is somebody who is probably still in this world who is walking around knowing that Anna Kendrick auditioned for their production of Annie and you did not get cast as Annie? Yeah, she's a real stuck-up bitch to this day. <laughs> well, you know what? There's relief in that because they've done a study that shows that um, kids who play Annie often uh, become procrastinators. Well, good to know. I yeah. know because it's, it's, it's always tomorrow. Things off till tomorrow. Exactly. exactly. So Musical I think theater joke. You, you uh, got I, away with that. I, I, I mentioned this when I introduced you. I wanted to check it. Is you were doing? You were working a lot as a professional actor in films. You played opposite George Clooney in Up in the Air and was nominated for an Oscar. But is it true that the the thing that really sort of propelled you was the Pitch Perfect movies? Yeah. I 
think that's true. That had a really wide audience. And as you say, like this thing really took off, which was me, you know, singing with a plastic cup. And when I, um, you know, when everybody was auditioning for that film, everybody kind of needed to sing just so that, you know, they, they knew that you could sing. And I knew how to do this kind of dorky thing with this cup and because I'd seen these two girls doing it on a YouTube video and I taught myself how to do it because I have too much free time on my hands and uh, so I said well I mean if I'm going to sing anyway I could show you this thing that I can do and they put it in the movie and then it you know became a single and they recorded it as a full song and made a music video for it so um, you know, learn geeky stuff because yeah. then you'll have a triple platinum song. Yeah, it's it's. I, and I realized that when we spoke earlier, and I called you, you were actually at that moment watching YouTube videos. You're looking for the next big gimmick, I guess. Oh, I was. That's right. Well, I was looking at skunk-related videos, so I'm not sure how that's going to help me. I'm sorry. Did you say skunk-related videos? Yeah, it was. Um, it was a video of a gang of skunks. <laughs> what, what What were they doing? Well, uh, they were scurrying across the front lawn, and then they thought they heard something, and they all, like, gathered together and put up their tails, and I, like, almost started crying because, you know, they're these reviled little creatures, but they have each other's backs. <laughs> they were looking out for each other. Did they, did they, like, arrange themselves so, like, their scent glands were pointed in all directions? No, in case? actually, which seems like a design flaw. The people, the, the guys in the front um, really have it easy, but the, uh, the privates in the back... Pitch Perfect, of course, if you haven't seen it, what is wrong with you, ladies and gentlemen? It is a movie about competitive a cappella singing, which is a real thing in this world. Um, has it? Unfortunately, yeah. No, I, th <laughs> I think it's pretty awesome. I actually do think it's really cool. It is great. And, and did your movies, because there have now been three of them, did, have they led to uh, like an explosion or revival of a cappella? Unfortunately, yes. Really? <laughs> so you've spent some time with real acapella groups. I actually didn't for research purposes. I actually had done before. Ooh. Um, so I went, a friend kind of dragged me to an acapella competition, and I thought it was going to be very dorky, and I ended up, by the end of it, I was like, do you think we could go backstage and meet them? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my God, I made out with an acapella member uh, in college in my freshman yes, year, and it, it, was the, it was the best night of my life. Amazing. <laughs> We, 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 uh, we wanted to do this with you just as a little sort of preliminary for the real quiz, which is we were looking around and it turns out that a lot of acapella groups have really odd names. So we wanted to yeah, ask Yeah, they have you, puns. Yeah, so we wanted to ask you if you could tell the real ones from the fake ones and uh, just to see how you do with this. Uh, so I'm just going to read some names. You tell me if you think they're real or not. Oh, I will have no idea, but absolutely. Okay, Let's here do we go. It. Like, how about the tempo tantrums? <laughs> I, I really want that to be real. It is. Ohio University Tempo Tantrum. Wow. Here's a good one. The Rhythm Method. No. Oh, that is very clever. But if a college lets them get away with that, I would be surprised. So I'm going to say that's not real? No, it is. It's, it's a oh. big intimate university. A Amazing. couple more. Here's one, them. Here's one. Uh, Sophie's Voice. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> Not, re not real? No, not real. <laughs> w one last one. Rhythm and Jews. I love that. I hope that's real. Yes, it is. University of Chicago represents. Well, Anna Kendrick, it is as delightful to talk to you as I always imagined it would be. And we have asked you here to play a game that we're calling... Pitching. 
perfectly. As we have discussed, you starred in the Pitch Perfect movie, so we thought we'd talk to you about pitching perfectly, specifically a no-hitter thrown by Pittsburgh Pirate pitcher Doc Ellis back in 1970. Answer oh, wow. two out of three questions about Doc Ellis's no-no, as they call it in the game, and you'll win our prize for one of our listeners, the voice of their choice on their voicemail. Bill, who is Anna Kendrick playing for? Shannon Durfee of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay. Here's your first question. Doc Ellis walked eight batters that day. He hit one, but he still did not get up a hit in a nine-inning complete game. But what made his no-hitter so unique in the annals of baseball? Was it A, a right-handed pitcher? He threw this one with his left hand, quote, just for kicks. B, because of the walks, he actually lost the game, one to zero. Or C, he was high on LSD the whole time. <laughs> I mean, I wish it was C, but I guess I'll say B. Can you can you hear the shouts of all the middle-aged men listening to radio the radio right now who are shouting no. the right answer? Can you because they're all saying it was C. Yes, this is one of the famous games. Doc Ellis pitched a no-hitter on LSD. Oh, that's wow. fabulous! You still have two more chances here, so there's still a chance. Uh, as you can imagine, pitching in a major league game while tripping on LSD has its challenges. <laughs> Ellis said that during the game, he had to pitch around which of these problems, A, believing the catcher was Richard Nixon, <laughs> B, not being able to either feel or see either of his arms, or C, constantly resisting the urge to take a bite of the ball, which smelled like a hamburger. <laughs> Um, is it A? It is A, yes. He, he says at one point he looked in and Richard Nixon was behind the plate and even worse, the batter was Jimi Hendrix and he was swinging an electric guitar. Oh my God. <laughs> All right, now Doc Ellis, as you can imagine, did not limit his misbehavior to that one game. Later on in his career, in a game against the Cincinnati Reds, he attempted to do what? A, pitch underhanded, B, roll the ball to the plate, or C, hit with a pitch every single member of the opposing team. C. You are right, Anna. That's what we did. For reasons known perhaps only to him, he was angry at the Cincinnati Reds, so he decided to throw a ball and hit every single member of the opposing team. He hit three of them and then threw two balls over the heads of the next two, and he was then removed from the game. <laughs> amazing. He was a pretty interesting fellow. Let me just say that about Doc Ellis. Bill, how did Anna Kendrick do in our quiz? What a winner. Two out of three, Anna. Good going. Congratulations. Anna Kendrick's new movie is a simple favor. It is out now. Anna Kendrick, thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for everything you've done. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. In just a minute, Bill goes gobble-gobble in the Listener Limerick Challenge. Call one wait wait to join us in the air. We'll be back in a minute with more of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One. Capital One wants to build a better bank, one that feels and acts nothing like a typical bank, so they're reimagining banking. They offer a great savings rate and accounts with no fees or minimums that can be opened from anywhere in five minutes. That's banking reimagined. Capital One, what's in your wallet? Capital One. N-A. Planet Money tip number 17. Sometimes, life is exactly like the movies. T-minus 30 seconds. 
They said D minus. They said D minus. Planet Money, a podcast about the economy and sometimes about rocket ships. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis. We are playing this week with Paula Poundstone, Nagin Farsad, and PJ O'Rourke. And here again is your host at the Chase Bank Auditorium in downtown Chicago, Peter Sago. Thank you, Bill. In just a minute. In just a minute, Bill slurps up some ramen noodles in our listener limerick challenge. If you'd like to play, give us a call at one wait wait That's one 888 Right now, panel, some more questions for you from the week's news. Nagin, a new study into college majors finds that one of the most profitable fields you can go into is what? Uh... For some reason, I was going to say HR, but that's not it at all. No, it really isn't. Um, that wouldn't make any sense. Um, so I'm going to say, like, metallurgy? Rarely used as a punchline. I know. <laughs> no, not Wait, this case. Me, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll give you a hint. You know, you'll be, so, you'll be so wealthy, you can let the elephant you work with ride in your Bentley. Oh, a zookeeper? Close enough. I'll say it's zoology. Oh. It turns out zoology is one of the most profitable majors you can major in. Oh, oh no. come on. This that is because make any sense. This is what they did. They, took, they, they surveyed people who had majored in various things, and they found their average salary and also the unemployment rate, because your average salary doesn't mean anything if you can't get a job. And zoology majors have an unemployment rate of just 1.4% and an average salary of $111,000 a year. But are they necessarily... What are they doing with those animals? <laughs> are they necessarily doing a career that involves zoology, or was that just what they studied and then they go on and to Then they went to law else? school. It's right. possible, yeah. Yeah, or then they just started breaking and entering. <laughs> One of the reasons, there aren't a lot of zoologists, so apparently the people who major in zoology have, have it all to themselves. Well, it's like yeah, the last major on the catalog, so yeah. then people don't always get to that page. That's true. <laughs> Nagain, movie theaters have to compete with all the streaming services at home, so they've tried to make their theaters super comfortable. But now employees in certain movie theaters are worried that they've become to what? Oh, um, sexually arousing? <laughs> like, because they're bed-like or whatever? Um, I'm actually going to give it to you, because that's apparently... <laughs> One of the problems, the general problem is they're worried that these comfortable movie theaters are too comfortable and people are treating them like they're at home. Like people are showing up in pajamas and with a blanket. Movie theater employees uh, say that, uh, you know, people are treating it like home, like they're watching a movie at home. And anybody who's ever spent time alone in their own home knows how gross that can be. <laughs> One usher says he saw a guy who brought a set of weights so he could get in his reps while watching the movie, just oh like at home. Gosh. Oh my god! One woman brought her pet monkey. <laughs> After the screenings, employees find everything from empty SpaghettiO cans to discarded lacy underwear. And I hope wow. those two things were found in very separate places. <laughs> Because if they weren't, all the rest of us have been doing dating wrong. <laughs> no, it just, yeah, it, yeah, it just seems like too, too much uh, to me. It, it's Soon actually, gonna, like, people are going to go, uh, uh, I missed that part, back up, rewind, <laughs> rewind. <laughs> just hold on, I have to use the bathroom, just, can you just pause it, can you just pause <laughs> Come
Coming up, it's lightning fill in the blank, but first it's the game where you have to listen for the rhyme. If you'd like to play on air, call or leave a message at one triple eight. wait wait that's one 888 or click the Contact Us link on our website, waitwait.npr.org. There you can find out about attending our weekly shows here at the Chase Bank Auditorium in Chicago and our upcoming shows in Los Angeles at the Greek Theater in Griffith Park on September 27th. Our big 20th anniversary show at the Chicago Theater here in Chicago on October 25th and our show in Orlando, Florida on November 15th. Hi, you're on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Hi, this is Emilisa. I'm calling from Vashon Island, Washington. Hey, Vashon Island. I know that. That's sort of a, a cross Puget Sound from Seattle, right? Yeah, between Seattle and Tacoma. Yeah, that's right. And, and what do you do there? I work at a sign company. Yeah? Making signs and... You make signs? Yeah, I do. Yeah, what, what sign did you make today? I made like those sandwich boards that go outside of restaurants. What'd it say? Gosh, which one was this one? I think this one was actually for like, uh, go to the back entrance, this door's closed. Oh. <laughs> no, I hate it when that's the special of the that's day. Yeah. Well, Emilisa, welcome to the show. Bill Curtis is going to read you three news-related limericks with a last word or phrase missing from each. If you can fill in that last word or phrase correctly, and two of the limericks will be a winner. Ready to play? I am. Here is your first limerick. I'll be chasing some really large tails. It's aquatic love on a big scale. With all of that blubber, they're real tender lubbers. I am finding a mate for a... Whale? Yes, for a whale. For the past few decades, the amount of North Atlantic right whales has dropped considerably because they are simply not mating. No one knows exactly why, but marine biologists think it's because they swim around naked all the time and there's just no mystery left. <laughs> Lots of right whales, no Mr. Right Whales, apparently. <laughs> or too many sperm whales, not enough egg whales, who knows? Oceanographers are doing what they can to help. Most importantly, they're making sure to pair humpback whales with hump front whales. <laughs> because that's how it works. I, ma I, I majored in zoology, so I know that. <laughs> Yeah, by the way, it just dropped 100 there on the yeah, floor. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Emilisa, here is your next limerick. As we make high-tech seats for you geeks, we will use 3D scanning techniques. Then your new gaming chair fits just one derriere. We are making a mold for your... Seat? No, not Close. quite. Oh, wait. Rhymes with geeks and techniques. Oh, so, we geeks? Hear? Yes, geeks! Yeah, this week, IKEA announced 3D butt-scanning technology to give <laughs> customers what we always wanted, a reason to get naked at IKEA. <laughs> the furniture giant wants to appeal to gamers, people who sit for hours at a time while their butt slowly slips into a numb butt coma. The custom-built chairs will be molded to accommodate every nuance and curve of the gamer's caboose, raising the question, uh-oh, where did the Allen wrench go? <laughs> According to Fast Company, uh, gamers spend an average of six hours a day sitting, and that number is growing along with the size of the butt. Yes, really. Yeah. What happened to like that whole era when everyone was like, I'm buying a walking desk, and like everything's about standing, and standing is the new sitting, and all that. Yeah, like, it lasted about what? 10 minutes. Get me a molded <laughs> butt seat and leave me alone. <laughs> Emilisa, here is your last limerick. Their bird personalities quirky, and their bawk gobble squawk is so perky. Without wattle or beak, I'm still eager to speak. I'm learning to talk like a... 
Oh boy. Oh boy. Think, um, think Thanksgiving. Again? Think Thanksgiving. Oh, turkey. Turkey, turkey. yes. Turkey. The BBC this week profiled naturalist Joe Hutto, a man who says he can talk to turkeys in their own language. Mr. Hutto, known to his turkey pals as <laughs> has raised 16 wild turkeys, and along the way he says he has learned to understand them. For instance, he says, if a turkey sees a snake, it will tell other turkeys to run. Or if running is not an option, the turkey will say, if I must die, I will encounter darkness as a bride and hug it in mine arms. Get out! No, really, they'll, they'll say that. Yeah. Pato says turkeys are much more intelligent than we give them credit for and admits he's still learning their difficult language. All he can really say in Turkey is, my name is Hato and gobble gobble biblioteca. <laughs> Peter, will you say how, how he's known again? Will you say? <laughs> <laughs> Bill, how did Emilisa do in our quiz? She got every single one. Congratulations, Emilisa. All right. Thank you. Well done. Congratulations, and thanks for playing. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Ancestry DNA. See what your DNA reveals about the family lore, your great-great-grandparents, and discover your family history. Ancestry DNA will map your ethnicity and provide insight into your geographic origins for more than 350 regions around the world. Learn a more complete story of you with an easy at-home Ancestry DNA kit. Visit Ancestry.com wait and get 20% off your kit. Now on to the final game, Lightning Fill-in-the-Blank. Each of our players will have 60 seconds in which to answer as many fill-in-the-blank questions as he or she can. Each correct answer now worth two points. Bill, can you give us the scores? Nagin has three. Paula and PJ each have two. Okay, we have flipped a coin. PJ has elected to go second, so Paula, you're up first. Fill-in-the-blank. On Thursday, President Trump falsely claimed that Democrats had inflated Hurricane Maria's death toll in blank. Puerto Rico. Right. On Sunday, Vice President Pence said that he'd be willing to take part in an interview with special counsel Blank. More. Right. This week, Senator Cory Booker released more documents about Supreme Court nominee Blank that were deemed confidential. Kavanaugh. Right. On Thursday, the White House outlined a proposal for new trade talks with Blank. Oh, maybe China? Yeah. The last weekend, Georgia State's humiliating 41-7 to loss to North Carolina State was made even worse when their coach blanked. Oh, oh I don't know tore his bicep, celebrating the team's only touchdown. Oh. <laughs> On Wednesday, a public health advisory was issued in New Hampshire after mosquitoes carrying blank were discovered. Uh, 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 Zika? Uh, no, West Nile in this oh, case. Nile, after taking away Pluto's planet status back in 2006, researchers are now moving to classify blank as a new planet. Pluto. Yes! He's out, he's in, he's out, he's in. This yeah. week, an Oregon novelist who wrote an essay called How to Murder Your Husband was charged with blanking. Uh, murdering her husband. How did you know? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was just like an episode of Murder, She Did. <laughs> the woman has been charged in connection with her husband's death after publishing a book called The Wrong Husband in an essay titled How to Murder Your Husband. She'll be going away for a long time, both because the evidence is so strong and because her newest book is called So, Having Murdered Your Husband, Here's How to Represent Yourself in Court. <laughs> Bill, how did Paula do? I thought she did well. Very well. Six right, 12 more points, 14 gives her the lead. Whoa, mm -hmm. well done, Paula. Thank you. Uh, all right, PJ, you're up next. Fill in the blank. On Monday, the White House announced it was working on plans for a second nuclear summit with blank. Darth Graham. 
North Korea, yes. On Wednesday, President Trump authorized new sanctions against any country that meddles in U.S. blank. Grand juries. No, elections, I know. (laughs) Following allegations of sexual harassment, a longtime CBS chief blank stepped down on Sunday. Oh, less movie, Moonves. Moonves. This week, Manhattan's district attorney dropped over 3,000 open cases related to blank possession. Drug. Right, well, marijuana. This week, a gym in New Zealand opened a new room, the first in the world in any gym to be devoted entirely to blank. That butt chair from Ikea. No. (laughs) Taking selfies. At their developers conference on Wednesday, Apple unveiled the newest version of the Apple Watch and the blank. The iPhone. Of course, in one of its first Instagram posts, the State Department rebranded itself as blank. Oh, the the deep state department. No, the department (laughs) of swagger. This week, a man in New Hampshire was fined $124 for blanking at the beach. Urinating. No, for kicking a seagull that had stolen his hamburger. (laughs) He should have urinated instead. According to police, the man had just sat down to enjoy his burger when a seagull stole it right out of his hands. The man then tried to shoo the bird away, but ended up kicking it. That drew the fine. We should say for longtime NPR listeners, the seagull in question is a bird and not recently retired, all things considered, host Robert Siegel (laughs) does spend his time lurking on beaches and stealing people's lunches. Being that it's NPR, we should probably also update the condition of the bird. The seagull is fine. (laughs) Bill, how did PJ do in our quiz? Four right. Eight more points, total of ten. He trails Paula. All right, so how many then does Nagin need to win? Six to win, Nagin. Okay. Here we go, Nagin. This is for the game. On Tuesday, President Trump marked the 17th anniversary of blank with a speech in Pennsylvania. Uh, September 11th. Yes, on Monday, the Attorney General of Colorado sued pharmaceutical giant Purdue Pharma for their role in the blank crisis. Right. According to a report published Wednesday in the New York Times, the U.S. is detaining a record number of blank. Children. Yes, migrant children. This week, adult film star Blank announced she'd be releasing a book about her alleged affair with the president. Stormy Daniels. Right. This week, a pilot in the U.K. was fired after it was revealed that he blanked during the hiring process. Uh, was on LSD. No, he was fired for (laughs) listing Jabba the Hutt as a reference. After winning an Emmy Award for his role in Jesus Christ Superstar Live, John Legend became the youngest person ever to blank. EGOT. Yes. On Wednesday, the Seattle Storm swept the Washington Mystics to claim their third blank title. Grand Slam. No. <laughs> WNBA. Oh. After meeting a woman named Nicole at a bar and hitting it off, a student at the University of Calgary tried to find her by blanking. Um, by using a turkey collar. No. He tried to email every single person named Nicole enrolled at the university. But then what happened? Do you know the end of the story? I do. The man man met Nicole during a night at the bar and he got her number, but what do you know? It wasn't the correct number. So (laughs) undeterred and somewhat clueless, he he, he looked in the student directory, found everybody named Nicole, and he sent them all a mass email saying, hello, I'm me. If you're the Nicole, please get in touch. It's easy to relate to. I mean, everybody knows how embarrassing this this is when you're trying to reach one person, but you click reply to all Nicoles. (laughs) Since then, the woman, who have all met on this email group, have started to get together to meet without the guy. (laughs) (laughs) This is like the premise of a romantic comedy. It really is. It's amazing. Bill, did Nagin do well enough to win? She needed one more point to win. That means that Paula is our winner.
And well, Paula, I should say congratulations, or as they say in the turkey holler. <laughs> Coming up, our panelists predict after Cynthia Nixon's bagel order disaster, who will be the next person to be mired in a food scandal? Wait, wait, don't tell me. It's a production of NPR and WBEZ Chicago in association with Urgent Haircut Productions' Doug Berman, Benevolent Overlord. Philip Godica writes our limericks. Our public address announcer is Paul Friedman. Our house manager is Tyler Green, assisted by Simon Tran and Mary DeOlio. Our intern is Catherine Coates, and this week we welcome yet another intern, Zoe Lowenberg. We love interns. Our whip guru is Beth Novi. B.J. Liederman composed our theme. Our program is produced by Jennifer Mills, Miles Dornwas, and Lillian King. Technical directions from Lorna White. Our master of operations is Colin Miller. Our production coordinator is Robert Newhouse. Our senior producer is Ian Chillog. And the executive producer of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is Mike Danforth. Now, panel, who will be the next person to be brought low by food? Nagin Farsad. Now that we know that Elon Musk smokes pot, he's going to have epic munchies, which are going to force him to engineer the largest multifunction Cheeto that will also orbit the Earth as he snacks on it. <laughs> PJ O'Rourke. Uh, it's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Uh, she triggers the whole cultural appropriation thing by going to Taco Bell and ordering the tuna melt burrito. <laughs> and Paula Poundstone. Betsy DeVos will eat with students at a school, only her meal is delivered from an upscale restaurant. Yes, she explains, but I need nutrition. <laughs> I'm so telling her where you live. <laughs> well, if any of it happens, you can bet we'll ask about it right here on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Thank Me. Thank you, Bill Curtis. Thanks also to Nagin Farsad, PJ O'Rourke, Paula Poundstone. Thanks all of you for listening. Peter Sagal, and we'll see you next week. This is NPR.